Great to have your company for this episode of LifeWords Q&A with David Ray. G'day, I'm Andrew Morris. It's our weekly session where we quiz David on questions that you might have about life and faith. There are plenty of questions. I don't think we'll ever finish this podcast, David. Um, our first question uh, today is, how do we reconcile Paul's teaching that we're to be content with the desire to improve ourselves? Is ambition wrong? It's a very good question because there's a balance to be observed here, Andrew, between contentment and complacency. Paul is urging contentment in relation to, say, the more material circumstances. When he wrote the words he did in Philippians 4, he was in prison. And he was really saying to his readers, look, I'll accept that. I'm here in prison and I'm going to jolly well make the most of it. Rather than complaining about my circumstances and becoming a grumbler and becoming apathetic and defeatist. No, I'm here in prison and I'm, I'm going to make the most of it. See, I think contentment is about making the most of where we are. It's about the absence of restless material greed for more. It's about being thankful for what God's doing um, here and now. But it's not opposed to right ambition, just on a practical sense. Um, uh, the place where I'm living, um, the kitchen's a bit old and needs repair and renovation. We, we, but, and we're getting a new kitchen. Now, that means that we're not content with the old kitchen, as it were. We feel we can improve it, and so we are We are doing that. That doesn't mean that we're restlessly greedy. It doesn't mean that we're grumbling and complaining all the time. Uh, it doesn't mean that we don't make the most of the kitchen we've got. It just means that we think, yes, we can improve this. So, so, so I, I think, translating it now back to Paul, I think Paul would undoubtedly have welcomed being freed from prison if someone had come along and said, hey, Paul, I know you're content to be in prison, but um, here you are, we're offering you early release. I'm sure Paul would have said, well, thank you very much. Show me the door. So being thankful for where we are and doing our best where we are doesn't mean we don't look for improvement in circumstances or um, a change in circumstance. I mean, as, as a church pastor over the years, we, we often, any pastor faces this particular issue. You're in a particular church. You give it your best. You're not always looking at the greener grass somewhere else. You're not grumbling or complaining. You're thankful for where you are. But hey, if an opportunity comes up to change, or that can be a legitimate move. In fact, um, many pastors will even look for a new position, and that can be a perfectly legitimate thing to do, but with a few conditions. One is, am I just one of these restlessly, materially sort of um, discontent people who will never give of myself in my present circumstance because I'm always looking for the next opportunity? Um, am I thankful for where I am? Have I surrendered to a grumbling and complaining spirit? I think... You can, you can be very ambitious to move on or move up, as the case may be, as long as you are thankful for where you are, that you are giving the best of where you are, and you're not surrendering to a, a complaining or a greedy spirit. So I think contentment is perfectly um, compatible with um, ambition, but the ambition has to be properly measured, as it were. Yeah, well, so, so we've, we've looked at the contentment side, ambition. Am, ambition, some people can see that as uh, a negative. Uh, to be too ambitious is, could be seen as negative. But, I mean, to, to have passion and ambition to do well, 
there's nothing wrong with that, is there, Dave? No, no. I remember when I when I got my first job and I left school. It was with um, Qantas Airways, actually. And one of the one of the older, crusty old managers said to me at the time, "Well, David," he said, "he said, are you ambitious?" And I thought, "Uh oh, what's um, is this a trick question and so on?" And my answer to him, I think, he, he said, "That's right." He said, "He said, ah, oh, um, are you ambitious to become the chief executive officer?" And I was thinking to myself, "You've got to be joking, no way." But but I think I answered him truthfully. I said, "Well, I am going to work." my best i'm going to give this job my best and i'll see where it goes and and i think that was a quite reasonable answer if i had have said i'm going to become the chief executive officer i think that's probably going overboard if i were to say oh no i'll just be content to sit at a desk shuffling papers the rest of my life i don't think that would have been good either no i think what i said at the time was truthful and i think realistic yes i'm going to give this my best shot and i'm just going to see where it goes so i was ambitious in that job i was ambitious in the sense that i want to do my best and if that leads to promotion and greater opportunities fine if it doesn't that's okay too. But I think we also look look at ambition in another way too, that is in the more spiritual realm. I I think all of us should be ambitious to be more loving, patient, bold, humble. If a Christian says to me, Well, I'm I'm content with my level of loving, I'm content with my service of God, I'd say, No, we need to be striving in that good God-aided sense of the word, striving to do better. So there is a good ambition. I think when ambition is purely centred around greed and me climbing to the top of the pile so I can exercise more power, I think that is very wrong. But ambition in the service of Christ and ambition in order to be more like Christ is a very valid thing. LifeWords Q&A with David Ray. If you've got a question, please email us, lifewords at hopemedia.com. .au is our email address. Uh, as we've said in all our previous episodes, you can download and subscribe. So these come into your podcast and into your iTunes store on a regular basis. Just subscribe through the iTunes store by searching Hope Media Limited. Our second question today is uh, the question, I can't figure out why God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, David, since he since himself had promised Abraham the son. Mm. Well, God, yes, I, there's a few instances in the Bible like that where God at times seems to do things that surprise us. Yes, it is it's almost like an absurdity that uh, Genesis chapter 22, God promises Abraham a son, then doesn't give him a son till he's in his 90s. And then when he does give him his son, say, yeah, guess what? You know, it seems as though God's playing some silly, uh, terrible games. Well, of course, we have to go back and say, now, wait a minute, God is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he doesn't do that. So, yes, God does seem to do things that surprise us, but we have to always come back to the fact that God is good and faithful and wise, even if we might not understand it. But when it comes to this episode, I think there'd be many people who'd say, yeah, well, how's good? how is God good and faithful and wise if he's asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? Well, this is the way I look at it. You may look at it differently, but this is the way I look at it. It's a test of faith. And, of course, it not only tests Abraham's trust, it also challenges anyone who's reading the story to trust God even when he makes no sense. I, I think that's very much part of why it's in the Bible. Would you trust God even though he doesn't seem to be making much sense? But I think the story does more than that when you read it. It reminds us of God providing Jesus as a sacrifice to remove the guilt of our sins. There's this lamb or ram in the story uh, that is offered as a sacrifice in place of Isaac. And I think it's a story in the Old Testament that reminds us that this is the way God is going to deal with human sin. And I think, as it were, the Abraham and Isaac people in it are, as it were, incidental players. You see, I actually 
don't think God ever intended Abraham to kill the son through whom salvation would eventually come. Because he said, God said, I'm going to, as it were, save the world, and I'm going to do it through your line, Abraham. And I guess what? Isaac's in your line. Oh, but I'm going to kill him. Well, it seems as though God's contradicting himself there, and I don't think God ever does that. Now, you see, also, I, I, I argue that Abraham seems to believe that God would provide a way out. He says to Isaac, God will provide a sacrifice. Uh, and, and, and he suggests to his servant before he goes up on the mountain that they'll all return. He seems to suggest that that's, that that's what the story suggests. Now, now that doesn't soften it too much because it was still a challenge. But I reckon I read Genesis 22 more like an acted out drama to prove a point that God can be trusted and that he would one day provide a sacrifice. I don't think for one minute God is saying, I'm going to kill Isaac. I'm just going to play a game with you, Abraham, and I'm going to really drive you to the limit, and then a ha-ha-ha, I'm going to sort of say, surprise, 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 uh, I'm not that bad a God after all. I don't think we can look at it like that. I think, rather, this story is in the Bible. It, it really happened. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but it happened in such a way that it is, it is God is actually inviting Abraham and Isaac to participate in a bit of an acted out drama which is meant to provide the readers including ourselves to show how he god is going to provide a way out of 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 human beings avoiding spiritual death and separation from him by providing a sacrificial lamb which of course we know to be jesus thanks david LifeWords Q&A is what you're listening to. Our third question for today is, aren't we guilty of overcomplicating our faith? Isn't Christianity at its heart a very simple faith? Yes. Yes, we can be guilty of overcomplicating the faith, and Christianity is simple in its own way, but we've probably done close to 100 Q&As so far, Andrew, and they're all interesting questions which actually show that the Christian faith is not sort of immediately straightforward. But mm. look, yeah, we can overcomplicate it. But no, it's not at heart a simple faith. I, I challenge that. You see, see, if by simple we mean easy to figure out at all times. Um, so again, try, try to avoid the extremes. Yes, we can overcomplicate things, but we can also oversimplify things. You see, our faith is centred on this um, supernatural God. And once you have a God-centred faith, we have to realise we can never figure God out. Um, it's a profound faith. God is not simple, as it were. And yet this God has made himself known. So we've got enough understanding to relate to him and to follow him. And then and we can say the same thing about the Bible. The Bible makes some things very, very clear. But as we see in this series of Q&As, there's other things that aren't so clear. Good godly people who've wrestled with the scriptures still don't know what some of the scriptures mean and come up with different conclusions. Uh, and that's because the Bible's written in a different culture and a, and, and a different language. And that's why Christians differ. You see, if it was all so simple, we'd all get the same ideas and think the same thoughts. So it's not that simple in that way. See, beware of making this simple faith idea an excuse for not wrestling with issues and as a reason for dismissing those who disagree with us. Oh, look, you're, you're, you disagree with us. You don't follow that particular line. You're just overcomplicating something that is simple. No, I, I, I've studied the Bible. I, I, I've, I've been to Bible college. I've done all these things. And I don't find the Bible essentially simple. I mean, so many books have been written on it. So many scholars are, 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 are studying the Bible. And I think to say it is, it is a simple document that no one needs wrestle with is, uh, I think, um, uh, completely missing the point. It, it is not 
a simple faith in the sense that oh well it's it that there's no complexity in it i mean i mean there are academics in this area who are obliged to as it were overcomplicate the faith in the sense of exploring all the details we need not anyone who's read detailed commentaries and detailed books of theology see these theologians and bible scholars wrestling with issues and godly academics will tell you that there's much mystery and complexity in faith issues there's huge huge difficulties in all this and yet those don't keep us from loving God and believing uh, that he loves us. So there's, there's an anecdote, we're never quite sure whether this is true, but it sounds good. There was probably the greatest scholar of the uh, theologian of the 20th century, a Swiss theologian called Karl Barth, was asked towards the end of his day, uh, what's the most profound idea you've ever wrestled with? And this is a guy who wrote Church Dogmatics. He's written, oh, thousands and thousands of pages of complex theology which many people can't understand but towards the end of his life was heard to tell an interviewer the most profound idea I've ever discovered Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so and to me that's a good example here's Bart wrestling with all the incredible intricate details of theology and no one need need imagine that's all futile he was really wrestling with it in the service of God but at the end Bart says, yeah, beneath it all, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So look, the Bible says we're to be adults in our understanding, not childish, um, but adults at our own level. You see, not all of us are Karl Barthes who are wrestling with all the profound um, theological complexities. I'd, I'd want to say, Andrew, in, in summary, that our faith is simple enough for anyone to come to know Jesus and yet complex enough to keep academics and others occupied for years and years and years and years and years. So there's a little bit of each. Don't go to the extreme of overcomplicating faith so that people can never come to faith in Jesus because that in itself is a fairly straightforward thing. But never assume that having come to faith in Jesus and following Jesus, that there's not a huge amount of profundity and complexity beyond all that. What if we just stick to what the Bible says? Well, I mean, in terms of base, uh, let's uh, core core things. Uh, it could be marriage. Uh, it could be uh, acceptance of Jesus as Lord and Savior, and that's the only way you can go to heaven. Uh, certain core beliefs throughout the Bible, we we, we question them or complicate them. The um, the the Genesis story of creation. Uh, you know, do we not complicate things? Well, the point is that many of those things you've mentioned are not at all simple. Uh, we disagree on Genesis, the nature and uh, the literature there. We can disagree even on some issues in marriage in terms of male-female relationships within marriage. We can differ in terms of the scope of salvation. Yes, Jesus is the only means of salvation, but theologians quite rightly argue, well, how does that, uh, how does that um, uh, correlate with uh, people who don't know Jesus and so on and so on. You see, when people do say, well, we're overcomplicating things, why don't we just get back to what the Bible says? I say, absolutely, very good idea. What does the Bible say? And this is where we come into problems because people sometimes think, what to say, if only we just get back to the Bible, everything would be simple. Uh, no, no, because I, I, I've read too many scholars who genuinely are in a godly way wrestling with the scriptures as, as we have received them who are coming with, up with different conclusions and exploring more and more things. That, so, so in other words, just coming back to the Bible doesn't in and of itself um, make it all simple um, because your understanding of the Bible and my understanding of the Bible may still differ. However, I do believe that at the core, 
of of coming to know God through Jesus Christ and seeking to follow him in the power of the Holy Spirit within the community of God's people is 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 fairly clear there. But but what is clear at the core may become more complex on the peripheries. But I do believe that God says God says to us, wrestle with faith as much as you can be adults in understanding. In other words, just grow up in your faith. Don't just be content with a childish level. But grow up in your faith. But but yes, um at at the level, you see, if 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 I was becoming a professor of theology somewhere, I'd have to wrestle with faith a whole lot more than than if I am a, a, a simple Christian um, living a normal life in the church community. As a pastor of a church, I have to wrestle with things perhaps at a deeper level, a more complex level than others do, and I don't demand that others um, wrestle in the same way as I do. So um, we. We embrace the essential simplicity and straightforward of the Christian faith. Jesus loved me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And yet at the same time recognize that there is a lot of mystery out there, not all of which we need to figure out, but which we are at least aware of. Thanks so much for joining us this week on LifeWords. Very interesting as usual, David. And if you've got questions for David, our email address is lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. Till next time, have a great one. We'll speak to you soon.